I said earlier, in two weeks we we leave for camp, and I'm kind of excited about going for a week. Just it, it's it's our time. I say my time, but it's our time as leaders to take the sixth through twelfth graders away for a week, kind of unplugged from media. They take their phones, but they only get them for like an hour or two on during the day just to take pictures and stuff like that. But we really kind of unplug and to <clears throat> kind of refocus um, just where they are and what they're doing. But this year, I think the challenge for me is to prove that Jesus is real to them. You know, just... Uh, here's the situation is you can prove Jesus is real for two reasons. One, with the teenagers, I want them to know that when I was a teenager, he was a Bible character. That was simply it. It was just a Bible character. You know, I knew he was God's son. I knew that he died on the cross. And uh, he was important to me. There's no question about it. But I didn't know what I know now. Nor do I expect them to know what I know now. But if I can convey even a glimpse of what I know now to them and the Spirit unpacks it with them, that they can come to the realization that Jesus is real, that that faith becomes more important to them. Now, there's other reasons to prove Jesus. You've got people all the time that are trying to prove that Jesus isn't real, that Jesus was, some people say he was just a prophet. Some people say he was just a good man who was a good person, had a good word. But unless you know that he's the Messiah, unless you know that he's your Savior, then he becomes the Lord of your life. When he becomes the Lord of your life, it changes everything that you do. It changes everything. And so if you can teach them that. And so today as we, if we continue down this, this gospel, it seems like I'm trying to prove uh, what occurred in the scripture is true. And I am. I'm trying to unpack it with you. But it, it's for real. And so uh, just, just journey with me. Remember, where we, remember what we've done already. Last week we were here and we were on Tuesday night of the Passover week. When I say the Passover week, the Passover was really one night, one day. That was it. But I'll explain here how they've combined it with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread to make it one celebration. But Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross on Friday. Uh, last week we were on Tuesday, and Mary anointed him with the perfume, and then G- Judas got up and went and set up the whole scenario to betray Jesus on Thursday. All right? Mary, you you got that last week, right? Mary loved Jesus so much, and it stirred Judas to get up. It said, and Satan entered into Judas and I talked a little bit about that at the end as well and here's one thing that I do know is I believe that God is omniscient God is omnipresent God God's everywhere God has the ability to be 
in all of us sitting here in this room. That's the spirit. But I don't believe Satan is omnipresent. Like if he's in Judas, that's where he is. That's a good thing, right? I mean, not that he's in Judas, but that he's not, he's not in. But I believe that we deal with oppression, and I believe that we deal with the, and demonic warfare. And that, that's a whole other subject. But that's where we left off. And then we spent uh, several weeks talking about Tuesday afternoon, the Mount Olivet Discourse. And then we, there's no, no description of what happened Wednesday. I'm assuming he was just hanging out with his disciples. It's his last opportunity to hang out with his, his friends, and he's just spending time with them. But then, now we're on Thursday. We all went all of a sudden for three or four weeks on Tuesday, and now all of a sudden we're on Thursday morning. It's uh, time for the Passover meal. And this will be his last Passover with his disciples. And here's what you have to understand. The Passover that we practice, not we, but the Jews practice today, which they still do because remember I read in Exodus where God says this is supposed to be a permanent memorial. When you celebrate the Passover, you're going to do this. for. In fact, when Jesus comes back and reigns here a thousand years on the earth, they're still going to practice the Passover. The Passover being that the night before the Israelites were released from the captivity of the Egyptians, the Lord passed over their house. And we read all that last week. You have to go back and listen. So now, this is his last Passover with his disciples, and he's getting ready uh, for this big day. But what happened with Jesus back then can't happen today. Let me show you this this model of the, the of Jerusalem real quick. You'll have to look on the side. This is not Jerusalem. It is a model of Jerusalem. In fact, you can see the two people standing there in the bottom of the picture. We're standing up on a ledge. We took this, I believe Chloe took this like three weeks ago. And they have built this incredible display of the Temple Mount and Jerusalem. If you see the Temple Mount, obviously you can't miss it. It's right there in the front. But if you look directly to the left in the front, this is the city of David. It's, it's not all the little houses that are there, but it's right just below that. This is the city of David. And David built this city when he had desired to build the temple. King Solomon's temple. His son built the temple. That temple got destroyed in 587 by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar. Then they came back, rebuilt the temple. Then Herod comes along, Herod the Great, Herod the Great Builder, and he decides, I'm going to rebuild the temple. And this is what you're looking at. This is a model of the temple that King Herod rebuilt. It's not the same temple that was there when King David lived there. All right? I'm going to grab something here real quick and I don't think it'll I don't know if it'll work on the TV or did we already test this it doesn't work on the TV does it no it doesn't work on the TV so laser pointer doesn't work uh, if you go if you go just where all I said all those little buildings are 
And just north of that, you see a little bit bigger building. Up in that area is what they believe, tradition believes, was John Mark's house. Which had a room that was called the upper room. Which is where Jesus was planning on meeting with his disciples the night of the Passover. In fact, it's the same room that the disciples gathered in in Acts chapter 1 and 2 after Jesus died and they were waiting for him to return. Same place. Now, let me go to the next, the next picture. This is the actual model again of the temple. This is still the same picture, just zoomed in. And if you'll see... That big, tall structure inside of that was the Holy of Holies. That's where they believe that God lived. The the, the Spirit filled that room. And only the high priest could go back behind the curtain once a year to make a sacrifice for their sins. This was in the Holy of Holies. But just outside of that front door right there, this was the priest court. And the priest would go in there and they would make sacrifices. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Now, I said that... The Last Supper during Jesus' time is not the same as the Passover that they practice today, and here's why. Look at this next picture. Because in 70 A.D., the Romans came along and they destroyed the temple. In fact, that's the residue of the temple right there. The Temple Mount is still there, but the Romans came and they tore that thing down stone by stone, brick by brick burned it and since 70 AD there has not been the ability to sacrifice any animals at the temple therefore the Passover meal is not the same that had occurred when Jesus was having the Passover with his disciples around I believe 30 AD and so that's the temple mount what it kind of looks like right now there's still a structure there and obviously it has a mosque on it from where the muslims have control i'll show you more of it here in just a second but let's talk about this preparation of the passover we're in matthew chapter 26 verse 17 it says On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? This was the whole reason that they were back in Jerusalem was to celebrate the Passover because God had commanded it. Now, we have an issue right here in this very first verse that we're going to have to stop and look at. Because as you've heard me talk before, translators of the bible take liberties here they take liberties here and they will add words based upon their own theology such as we've talked about in romans before where they've taken the word flesh and they've substituted for sinful nature because the theologians that translated that translation believe that they have two natures i don't believe i have two natures i have one nature and there's a big difference between the flesh and the sinful nature in this passage right here it says on the first day of unleavened bread some of your translations say the feast of unleavened bread if you go back to the original greek 
neither uh, the first is there nor the feast is there. It's the day of unleavened bread and it's not even capitalized. Because they capitalized it, they include it as part of the ceremony of the unleavened bread. You're sitting there going, you know, we really don't need to know this. Yeah, you do. You, you do need to know this because this is what helps it make sense as we progress. I'm not going to get it all unpacked today. To be able to do the Passover in 30 minutes is impossible. It's going to take me several weeks to do that. But you have to know this, that it is not talking about the actual celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In fact, in some of your, in some of your Bibles, it will say the preparation for the feast. The preparation for the feast. This is what they're doing. They're saying, what do we need to do to get ready for the upcoming Passover, which is one event, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is another event. Can I tell you something? The Jews as a whole don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Is that news to you? <laughs> no, because that's what we've been teaching the whole time. And so therefore, taking the Passover... And combining it with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and making it one thing and making it even confusing is okay with them because they're not trying to prove that Jesus is for real and that Jesus is the Messiah. So therefore, they'll combine the Passover with the Feast of the Unleavened Bread when they're actually two different events. They're two different events. Look at Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. It's up there on the screen. It says, the Passover to the Lord comes in the first month. Does anybody remember what the first month was called? Nisan. Nisan. I believe in the Hebrew it was once called Abib, but now it is referred to as Nisan. In the Passover to the Lord comes the first month, Nisan. At twilight on the 14th day of the month, the festival of the unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. Wait, did you hear that? The Passover comes in the first month at Nisan at twilight on the 14th day of the month. Jesus came into town on the 10th of Nisan when they were investigating him, but then he was presented on the 14th. This was the Passover and Leviticus just said the unleavened bread, festival of unleavened bread, doesn't start until the 15th. It says the festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Two separate events. Passover on the 14th. The beginning of the festival of the unleavened bread begins on the 15th. you got to get this right. Now, I also said this in the past few weeks. The Jews, based upon Genesis chapter 1-1, their day starts at twilight when the sun goes down. Once the three stars appear in the heaven, it's a new day. Because in Genesis 1-1, it says there was evening, then there was day. And so for them, 
their Jewish day actually starts around 6, 7 p.m. Once the sun goes down. You got to get this right. Get this right. So now the, the Passover is actually going to happen on Thursday, Thursday when the sun goes down. You with me? So now the disciples are preparing the Passover meal. This includes, you, you've seen us do that here before, the Passover meal. We've used uh, a lamb shank, which is a bone. A bone of the lamb because they can't make that sacrifice anymore. There's, there, there's no meat to sacrifice and to eat. Because there's no temple, no sacrificial altar. So now they just have a lamb shank that reminds them about this process. There's also herbs, bitter herbs, salt. And we'll go through this here in a few weeks as we go through it. But uh, the Last Supper occurred in the upper room at sundown on Thursday. Now, here's the question that I threw out this morning on Facebook. If Peter and John were told by Jesus to go prep for the Passover meal. And they were serving lamb on Thursday night. Jesus is supposed to be the Passover lamb, right? They had to kill that lamb before Friday. But wait, I thought Jesus was supposed to be the Passover lamb. Oh, we have a conflict. We have a conflict. Or do we? That's the question. Let me tell you this. There was a special offering that was made on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. during the Passover. It was called the Chagigah. The Chagigah was this special offering that was made on Friday morning. Even though they prepared the lamb in advance on Thursday. Oh, wait a second. Even though they prepared the lamb in advance on Thursday, which was actually Wednesday. (laughs) Because when sundown started, it was Thursday. You got to follow me here. You got to follow me. All right. And then I said this, I said, uh, I think that Jesus was crucified in 30 AD, and here's why I say that. Uh, A couple things is, one, if I believe that the Passover occurred on the 14th, a Thursday, there's only three years during, or, or two years during that time period that the 14th fell on a Thursday. It was either 30 AD or 33 AD. It's the only two years that it could be that the 14th fell on a Jewish Thursday. But if you go back and you know, uh, supposedly our calendars were divided at the, there's no zero year, at the one year when Jesus was born, they missed that. And we know that because what it says about his birth is that Jesus, that uh, they went out and killed the firstborns before Herod died and Herod died and we believe that Jesus was born somewhere between 4 and 7 B.C. If a rabbi 
goes away and learns and studies, he usually starts his public ministry around 30 years old. So in Jesus' case, that would probably be around 26 to 27 A.D. And we know, based upon what we have in the Gospels, is that Jesus experienced three different Passovers, that he went to Jerusalem actually four times, which he could have done in a three-year period. So that's why I believe that Jesus died around 30 A.D. That's what I'm going with, is 30 A.D. Now watch this. It says in verse 18, Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, the teacher says, the teacher, that's Jesus. The teacher says, my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. Again, tradition believes, tradition believes that it was John Mark's house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, if you want to get a little bit more descriptive, we look at Luke. We look at Luke, and Luke gets a little bit more descriptive. It's the same parallel passage in Luke 22, verse 7. It says, then the day, again, here we go, the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. There was a preparation day, preparation day for the feast of the unleavened bread, and this is what they were doing. They had to clear out, they had to clear out all the leaven in the house. That was part of the commandment. It says, <clears throat> Jesus sent Peter and John saying, look, we, now we know it's Peter and John. Luke just said who it was. Matthew just said he sent the disciples to ask, what do we have to do to get ready? Luke says, Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. It's that little city, it's that little city that was in the bottom left-hand corner of that picture. When you enter into that city, you're going to see a dude carrying a water jug. That's the man. That's, that's kind of strange, right? He says, tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs make the preparation there so they went and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the passover now look i'll show you pictures real quick of what tradition believes is the upper room this is uh is it working not working i'm not showing you pictures of the upper room thanks for trying though but let me read you this <laughs> Brent, I'm not going to subject you to this today. But everybody know what this is? The Mishnah. Some of you newbies in here are like going, well, how do they know that? Well, the Mishnah, this is an expensive little book, believe it or not. But see how thick that thing is right there? This thing was actually uh, written in uh, 2000. What's the, what's the copyright on this? You all look at copyrights, right? What's that? Uh, I'm going to have to pull my glasses out. 1933. They actually put this in hardback book and sell it. But this was actually written 200 A.D. Like all these were written down in 200. Jesus died when? 30 A.D. 
So 170 years later, the Pharisees and the scribes actually wrote everything down. But before that, watch this. Oh, look, there's the upper room. This is what tradition believes. And you've heard me say over the last few weeks that uh, typically wherever a site is found and the Catholics come in and build churches on top of it. This, they didn't actually build this. This is actually a house that's there in Jerusalem. But this is where they believe that the upper room was. There's like two more pictures, I think, in there. And uh, it's just an unbelievable place to look at and to see and to be there. All right, you can leave that picture up there while I read this. I'm going to pull out my glasses because uh, this is the Mishnah. And believe it or not, these 800 pages in here of rules and laws that the Jews wrote. I said they wrote it in 200 A.D. But you know what this is called before that, before it was called the Mishnah? What? The oral law. The oral law was put together when Nebuchadnezzar came and tore down the Temple Mount and they said, God can't even protect us with his law, with everything. We need more laws. And so all the Pharisees and the scribes got together and they made more laws to protect them so that they would be obedient to God and God wouldn't curse them and cause them to go into exile. So they established the oral law. This is the oral law now written in 200 A.D. Listen to what it says about the Passover. Just bear with me. The Passover offering was slaughtered by the people in three groups. For it is written, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slaughter it. Assembly, congregation, and Israel. When the first group entered in and the temple court was filled, the gates of the temple court were closed. On the shafar, which was this long horn that they blew, a sustained, a quavering, and again, a sustained blast were blown. The priests stood in rows, and in their hands were basins of silver and basins of gold. In one row, all the basins were of silver, and in another row, now all were gold. They were not mixed together. All the priests stood in rows. One row was of gold basins. One was of silver basins, and they didn't mix them up. Jews love the rules. You'll find out. It said, nor had the basins had bases. They didn't have feet on the bottom of these basins, lest the priest should set them down and the blood congeal. They constantly kept these basins moving because they didn't want the blood from the sacrifices to get thick. It's disgusting. Imagine the smell. Imagine Jerusalem's hot. Imagine the flies. An Israelite slaughtered his own offering and the priest caught the blood. It just slit the throat of the lamb, the goat, the blood poured out into the basin. The priest passed the basin to his fellows and to his fellows, each receiving a full basin and giving back an empty one. In other words, they stood there in line and they would pass a full basin of blood. They would take an empty one and pass it this way. Take a full one and they just kept this thing going and going and going and going. 
They did this every year at the Passover at the temple. It says, the priest nearest to the altar tossed the blood in one action against the base of the altar. When the first group went out, the second group came in. And when the second group went out, the third group came in. As the rite was performed with the first group, so it was performed with the second and the third. In the meantime, the Levites, these were the priests. Remember the whole Leviticus thing that we've got? This was their rules and instructions on how to do things to the Levite priest. It says they sing the Hallel. Not the Hillel, but the Hallel. The Hallel being Psalm 113 through 118. They would sing this. If they finished it, they sing it anew, sang it again. And if they finished it a second time, they sing it a third time. Although it never happened that thrice completed it. They never got through Psalm 113 through 18 three times. Our Judah says, never during the turn on the third group did they reach so far as, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice, since the folk in that group were but few. The third group were few. Is this exciting to you? I mean, this is what they did. This was the practice, it says. And it, watch this. You want to get a little bit more detailed. How did they hang up the carcasses and flay them? They were iron hooks fixed in the walls and pillars, and on these they used to hang the carcasses and flay them. And if they had no place where to hang and flay, there were thin, smooth staves which a man could put on his own fellow's shoulders. If they ran out of rooms, hooks on the walls, then they would have these staves on their shoulders and they would just hang the meat on their shoulders. Lord, get me in the first group. (laughs) I don't want no stinky meat hanging on me. When he had slit the carcass and removed the sacrificial portions, he put them on a tray and the priest burned them on the altar. When the first group went out, they remained within the temple mount. Watch this. If the 14th fell on the Sabbath, And the second group in the... Wait, that's all you need to hear right there. If the 14th... What day was this supposed to happen? On the 14th. The Thursday. All of a sudden, it makes sense. The Thursday. This is the Mishnah. This is what the Jews believe. It lines up specifically with what the scripture says right here. So the disciples were preparing for the Passover meal on Thursday. Now watch this. We close out here. Luke 22. Luke 22 says this. When the hour came, he reclined at the table. And the apostles with him. Forget the whole passion movie where Jesus made a chair. <laughs> they, were, they were laying there. And in fact, John says that he was even laying there on Jesus' chest. He says the beloved one. He doesn't call his own name, but he says the beloved one was laying there Jesus' bosom. They were laying at the table eating this Passover meal 
for the very last time. It says, then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Oh, man, we just had a great meal, and now here it comes. I wanted to do this with you. I just wanted to hang out with you. Oh, campers, if I can just tell you that Jesus is for real. This really happened. He's hanging with his buddies. And now he's getting real with them. For I tell you, I'm not going to eat it again until it is filled in the kingdom of God. In other words, I'm coming back. and We're going to have a meal another time, but that's going to be a long ways off. They didn't, he didn't say a long ways off. We just know it's a long ways off now. It has been. But watch this. I know it happened because of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul calls Jesus himself the Passover lamb. Yeah, but they did this on Thursday. How does this happen on Friday? Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, like chapters 40 through 48. If you want to know what's going to happen during the millennial, the thousand year reign of Christ, you can probably go to those nine chapters right there and Ezekiel prophesies about them. But in the middle of that, chapter 45, he says this, in the first month on the 14th day, this is Ezekiel in the Old Testament. He's prophesying about what's going to happen during the millennial. He's like, on the 14th day of the month, you are to celebrate the Passover. Something that is still yet to come, you're still going to be celebrating the Passover. A festival of seven days during which the unleavened bread will be eaten. On that day, the prince will provide a bull as a sin offering. On, ooh, wait. wait. That's in the future. He's going to provide a bull as a sin offering? thought that was already done with. Hang on. On behalf of himself and all the people of the land. During the seven days of the festival, he will provide seven bulls and seven rams without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord on each of the seven days, along with a male goat each day for a sin offering. He will also provide a grain offering of half bushel per, per bull and a half a bushel per ram, along with a gallon of oil for every half bushel. At the festival that begins on the 15th day, previous he just said was the 14th day now on the 15th day of the seventh month this is a totally different month he'll provide the same things for seven days the same sin offerings burnt offerings grain offerings and oil here's what we know based upon jewish festivals the first month is the feast of the unleavened bread and in that seventh month is the feast of the tabernacles we're talking about Two feasts that are still going to take place in the future. Why are these feasts taking place? Because God says this is going to happen forever as a permanent reminder of what was done. Just like you take the Passover, God says you're going to continually remember that I took care of you in the Passover. You're going to do this feast of the unleavened bread and there's going to be a sacrifice of sins just to remind you that I took care of your sin for you. I took care of it. 
That's all this is. It's a memorial. It's a reminder. It's not an actual sacrifice for your sins because that was all done when? On the cross. How many times? One time. One time. Apama hot. The feast of the unleavened bread. It's just a memorial. And the last verse I look at is in Numbers 2. It says, The Israelites are to observe the Passover at its appointed time. There's going to be a specific time that the Passover has to take place. You must observe it at the appointed time on the 14th day of this month at twilight. On Thursday which was actually Friday. So Moses told the Israelites to observe the Passover, and they observed it in the first month of the 14th day at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. The Israelites did everything as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thursday. It's the proper day for the Passover. The lamb is killed. And Jesus and his disciples eat the Passover meal in the upper room. Twilight has come for them. That's Jewish Friday. Friday, the day, this is the day of preparation. It actually happens the day after the Passover. This is when Jesus is tried. He's executed, although never convicted. He's tried and executed, but he's never convicted. The Jews continue their Passover celebrations with the Chagigah at 9 o'clock in the morning. Offerings are made at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Saturday, it's the Sabbath. Sunday, resurrection day today is sunday it's resurrection day every sunday is a reminder that jesus rose on the third day watch this he was buried on friday before sundown that's one day he was in the grave on saturday that's two days on sunday The day he rose, he was still in the grave. That's three days. Not three full days, but three Jewish days. You can't tell me that Jesus is not real. It's true. It's true. It makes sense. It lines up. It lines up even with the oral law. That's crazy. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, yet everything that these four Gospels say lines up exactly with what they wrote 200 years later. I'm telling you, he's for real. Father, I pray that um, as we unpack this and uh, we get into the whole true meaning of the Passover and you being the sacrifice for the Passover that we can understand it. It's confusing, but we have your spirit in us which can allow us to see it. And I pray that for my friends, that they can see that. 
they can see that what actually is written right here in your word occurred. Just continue to unpack it with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.